The devil tried to tempt Jesus and trip him up with an offer to hand over to him the kingdoms on the, of the world. And, and there, was, there was one small condition attached to that. He said, I'll give this all to you if you will only fall down and worship me. Remember that one. Uh, Jesus didn't take the bait back then. His response was, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus was tempted and tested, and he passed the test, and he was given that option of taking the easy route, bypassing the pain and the suffering of the cross, but he stayed the course, he chose the hard road, and that's the reason why the door to the, to the kingdom of heaven was able to get opened for you and for me. And, and that, that small episode, it kind of sets the tone for what we're looking at this morning because that same enemy is still making that same offer to Jesus' followers today. It's this temptation to take the easy route, to compromise instead of the hard road of taking up our cross and following Jesus. So we are in a, uh, a series uh, called Stranger Things. We are making our way through the deeper end of the book of Revelation. And Stranger Things is definitely an appropriate description uh, of what we're working through. And, and I got to tell you, I'll be honest, when we first started in Revelation, it was back at the end of January, I said it out loud here in the morning that we were going to go through the entire book, and that was kind of a big thing for me to say. You may not have known that at the time, because I knew back then that it meant that we were going to have to like work through passages like the one we've got to work through this morning. Um, and I know that if I hadn't committed way back then, I honestly might have bailed. I, I'm serious, because this book is written in such a way that it really is it's strange and, and it's a struggle and and i was talking to diane yesterday a little bit about this like this here's a little bit of the challenge is you know on the one hand on a regular basis uh thank god at lakeview here we have a number of people who come who are newer to faith maybe they're you know just seeking and trying things out and and they've never even heard of the book of revelation before right and so this is the kind of stuff that keeps pastors up at night. How do I present this in a way that doesn't result in someone getting up out of their seat and making a dash for their car and saying, I'm never going back there again because what's in here could easily motivate that, right? Um, but in addition to that, there's another challenge, which is that a large number of, of American Christians and Western Christians have a very ingrained orientation when it comes to the book of Revelation. It's all those left behind books you guys have read over the years, you know, the movies you've watched. And, and, and for a lot of us, that's had like this real significant impact in my, you know, your walk with God. And, and, and oftentimes when that happens, you get very ingrained kind of convictions that go along with that. And some of you, You've never even imagined that there is any other way of viewing the book of Revelation from that left-behind kind of framework. And when someone starts talking about a different framework, it almost seems like you've got to defend that. Like, it's offensive. Like, this is blasphemy almost, right? I get that. And I'm, I really am trying to be sensitive to that. And, 
And I want all of us to stay friends, you know, throughout the course of this. And that's a challenge. It's a lot of work. And so I want to just say thank you. Thank you for going on this journey together. Um, I hope it's been a good ride so far for you. And, and I promise, like, right about the end of June, we're going to be done with the book of Revelation. And I am looking for the most drama-free series um, for the summer that I can find. Uh, but, but for right now, we are in the middle of a narrative of very heavy-duty proportions. And there's no getting around that it's strange. It is strange. But here's the thing. If you have turned on the news and looked at the things that are going on, our world is strange. There are some bizarre, crazy things going on. And so maybe, maybe this is a good time to just embrace that. You know, maybe it takes strange to meet the strange things that are going on. By the way, um, I do just have to give a shout out to our amazing worship team. They just continue to astound me, and maybe you didn't notice this last week, but, but we got started on this strange story about a dragon and a woman, and they followed it up. Did you notice? Not with one, but with two songs that fit perfectly. That's incredible. It, I'm going to give them a hand because that's, that's amazing. Um, and so, okay, so let's just quickly catch up on last week's episode and where Stranger Things left off. It was this story uh, about, about this dragon who is actually the devil. And after he got evicted out of heaven and he got hurled down to our turf. And the dragon, knowing that his time was short because Jesus is coming down here soon, wages war on the saints and we found out that the saints am us. It's us. We're the ones, you know? And, and so if you're a follower of Christ, the reality is that the dragon has you in his sights, uh, which is not a very comforting thought. Uh, but this is reality. And so we're going to look at this week's episode and pick up from where we left off there. And this lays out his strategy for taking us out. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open it up to Revelation chapter 13. And you can just listen too, because I'm I'm, we're going to go through a larger uh, section of Scripture here. Here's what it says. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its hordes and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, to those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth and will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. 
If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns and a lamb, like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword yet lives. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name." This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. All right, are you guys ready to dive into this one? Man, I know you cannot wait. This is a crazy story about two fantastical beasts and where to find them, and it it is showing us that the adversary who has us in his sights, attacks us by infiltrating and embedding himself within worldly power structures. The dragon is the ultimate puppet master. In other words, he is pulling strings behind the scene. He's using those in positions of power to put pressure on and persecute the saints, God's people. And so the label that Revelation uses and slaps on this to describe this reality, it's, it's called the beast, right? So, so beasts, by definition, they devour and they destroy, and there's an intentional kind of contrast going on here between the beast and the lamb. So on the one side, there's the beast who kills, and on the other side, there's the lamb who died. And the question that's confronting us is, which one am I gonna align around? Which one? And, and so... And so this is not the first beast sighting in Scripture. Revelation, uh, as we've seen once again, it's taking us for a ride on the Wayback Machine. This time, we're going back in the Old Testament to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7 describes a vision a lot like this, a vision of four different beasts. They came out of the sea as well, and each one of those beasts represented a different nation a nation that was bent on conquest, and the devil would use those nations to try to do God's people in, but each one of them would eventually come to an end and fail. None of them would last, none of them would succeed. Every empire was destined to crash. And then Daniel's vision ends with with another vision of the Son of Man. It's It's a reference, a prophetic reference to Jesus Christ, who he said would come and rule the nations and usher in this everlasting kingdom of God that would never end. Okay, so that's kind of the backdrop. And so here, the beast in Revelation, it's like a mashup of all four of those beasts, all together in one, combined into one beast. And and the idea, as I understand it, is that what it's saying is that 
This is the ongoing story of human history. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. And in each one, there is an enemy that is always right there in the thick of it, pulling the strings and working through regimes and, and, and rulers in every age to try to do the same thing, try to thwart God's plans and do God's people in. But the consistent pattern of history has always been and always will be this. Man's kingdoms will crash. God's people will last. Okay, that's, that's a big theme that we see all throughout Scripture. Now, the Roman Empire, um, they promoted themselves as the answer to all of the world's, all of humanity's problems. And the emperor, he was literally viewed as a god. Now, last week, we saw this story, the story about the dragon and the woman. That actually had gotten taken and, and turned into a propaganda piece for the Roman Empire. They used it to try to sell themselves and promote themselves. In their version of the story, the emperor was the child who slayed the dragon. And Revelation is kind of saying, no, sorry, you guys, you got that story wrong. You got the characters mixed up. He said, the emperor's not the savior. The emperor's just another one of the dragon's puppets. And when the real savior returns, they're both going down together. And, you know, stay tuned for that one. That's going to come up in a couple of weeks. Um, but the point is this. In order to govern a people effectively, it requires a strong marketing department. Okay? A very strong marketing department. Any people, any place. Who are we? What is it that holds a people together? What unites us? And the answers given to those questions, that taps into a very deep place in our hearts, in people's hearts. The answers are designed to evoke a sense of loyalty. Um, it's where nationalism comes from, or it's where patriotic pride stems from. And, and this, is where, this is where God's people, we really do need to use a lot of discernment. A lot of discernment because Satan has a seat in the public relations department in that cabinet of human governments. And, and let me clarify and be clear. It's, it's not limited to the side of the aisle that you disagree with, right? He is embedded in the very structure, in the very fabric itself. He, he uses that sense of being connected, of being a part of something bigger than ourselves to then elevate a nation and a country and a government and turn it into an object of worship, an alternate object of worship, an idol that if we bow down and worship, we give our allegiance to. And, and so that's kind of the setting for what's happening. Rhetoric is the language of the dragon. And, and sometimes it's blatant. Let me use a couple of uh, modern day examples. Last year, I was in Thailand. I spent some time in the country of Thailand and they put it out there. I mean, this is modern day stuff. The king of Thailand bears the title of God right now, today. There are signs all over the place. It's got his picture on it. It's got his name. And right there beside it says the divine leader of this country. And make no mistake, if you criticize him, you can and most likely will end up in jail if he hears about it. it it's, it's just, it's the way their society works. Um, so 
Examples like that are easy targets. Um, that kind of stuff doesn't happen in the good old U.S. of A., right? All right, here we go. Um, you know, there's a whole area of study. It's fascinating. Uh, a study of what's called civic religion. Uh, civic religion shows how, how religious symbols get adapted and fused together with national imagery for the purpose of, or the result of just evoking a deep sense of loyalty to country. You want to hear a couple? America, America, God shed his grace on thee. You want to, you want to show me where that, is that in here? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? Um, you know, uh, I don't have the answers. I'm going to ask some questions that make, may make you just a little uncomfortable this morning. But, but think about that one. Is it, is it really, um, is it appropriate to say God and country? Can God have his own line? Can he have like the space to himself without having to import country right next to it? I'm just, I'm asking the question. Hasn't he earned that right? And what does it mean when we put country right next to God? Um, maybe it's something to wrestle through. Maybe it's something to think about it. And, and, and so here's the thing. We, as a whole, we get bent out of shape when something like, when God gets taken out of the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh my gosh, what are they doing? But here's the question we're not asking. Why are we pledging allegiance to a republic? How does that fit into faith? And is it really okay only because we add God into that? Is that what makes it okay? The obligatory God thing. Now this is less about God and it, it's a whole lot more about what place do we give to country? What place do we give to nation? Can we talk about God without talking about country? And last time I checked, I haven't seen, even in Revelation, that Jesus is set to return with a red, white, and blue flag in his hand. All right, so to borrow a quote from Bono, am I bugging you? I don't mean to bug you. I try to say it in my best Irish accent. Um, I don't get afraid. Where's Pastor Brian going? Um, I believe we live in the greatest country in the world, in the history of the planet. But it kind of gets me thinking a little bit. It kind of gets me thinking about, you remember Jesus kind of had some hard things to say, and one of the things he said to his disciples, he said, if your love for your family compared to your love for God doesn't seem like hate. Like it's kind of a very bold statement if you remember that one. He said, if your love for, for God doesn't seem like hate compared to your love for, for God, something's awry, something's off base. And I just wondered, do you think that maybe applies, if it applies to family, do you think maybe that applies to country too? Um, if nothing else, Here's, here's a take home for you. Mind the message. Because the beast speaks, and the dragon is a deceiver, and he has been at this game for a long time, and he is embedded in the power structures of society. 
listen to the beast, listen to the rhetoric. And do we need to even be convinced about this? Have you ever turned on the TV and listened to the rhetoric that is spewed from political leaders on both sides of the aisle in our country today? The slander, the accusations, the inability to accept responsibility and to deflect anything and everything? If, if that's not demonic, we might be in the process of being deceived. So, all right, enough for now. We're going to go back to then. Um, the believers back then were playing a high price for their allegiance to Christ. And they were constantly being courted, and they were also being coerced by the powers that be to switch sides, they're, 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 to, to take their allegiance from Christ and to put it on to Caesar. And actually, it was a little more subtle than that even, because the message wasn't give up Christ. It was simply add Caesar. Add Caesar alongside Christ as an object of worship. And to comply to that request for these Christians in the first century, that would have relieved so much pressure. That would have made life so much easier. And you can just imagine how tempting that would be. But what we're reading here, this, this is making it clear that so, to do so would be to align themselves with an empire and an enemy that were both destined for defeat and destruction. So Satan is still stacking the system against God's saints. It's human greed. It gets localized and, and in power structures, and that opens the door, that lust, that greed, that pride, and he walks right in, and he has his way. He taps into these power structures, and, and he channels them in very deceitful ways to cause God's people to compromise. And so the message here is don't buy the hype. Don't get sucked in by the message of the beast. Human empires, they present like a savior, but really they're a beast. They are the beast. They're being manipulated by the dragon to try to do you in. Um, now, I know that's a lot to digest. Um, I, I hope you're staying with me. And, and what I want to do for a little while is to just get a little more historical than we typically would on a Sunday morning because we need to understand what did this message sound like to the people Revelation was originally written to, right? Until we know that, it's really hard to understand what it means for us here and now today. And so my hope is that by going historical, it will keep us from getting hysterical. And when it comes to this passage, this chapter, there's a whole lot of hysteria, especially around Christians on this, this stuff in particular. So, so let's do that, okay? So for the Christ followers that were a part of these seven churches in Asia Minor that this is written to, there was very little doubt. We don't have to really speculate. Who was the beast that was coming out of the sea? The forces of the Roman Empire sailed across the Aegean Sea, and when they arrived, they came to conquer. That was their goal. That was their purpose. Now, by the time Revelation was written, they had accomplished that task. Their primary agenda was not to take control. It was to maintain control of a very expansive area. And like we already said, um, exalting the emperor as a god, that was a key part of what unified the empire together. And so there were temples all over the place. 
They were set up where citizens were required to go to present their offerings to the emperor and to pledge their loyalty to Caesar, not as a leader, but as Lord. That was, that was a reality. And if you didn't do that, you were on the outside looking in. You were marginalized. You were blacklisted. You were not a part of the trade guilds. You couldn't trade. You couldn't buy. It had big repercussions. And the primary way that Rome enforced that new orthodoxy um, was by forging alliances with the local authorities, with those who were already in power before they sailed over and took over. And so they called those local leaders in, they sat them down and they said, guys, here's our deal. So long as you do what we ask, so long as you comply with the empire's agenda, we're gonna feed you some nice stuff. We're gonna line your pockets. You can consolidate your power. We'll take care of you. The local leaders heard that, said that sounds good, and they basically made a deal with the devil. They're the land beasts, okay? So the, the sea beast would be the Roman Empire. The land beast would be those local leaders who were operating on behalf of the empire. And the assumption on their part was basically we can't beat them. These guys are just too big, they're too strong. The beast is too big, so let's just join them. Who's gonna, who's gonna contend with, with this beast? And so, so Nero, Nero was the Caesar when, when the Roman Empire was at its peak. After Nero died, the, the empire kind of scattered. It kind of went into disarray, into shambles. It was teetering on the brink of collapse. And then uh, another emperor, Vespasian was his name. He came to power and he shored the empire back up. And, 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 and the empire almost went through a figurative resurrection. It all figuratively came back to life. And that may be, that very well may be the, the resurrection that's, that's referred to in, in Revelation. Okay, a um, little bit more history, hang on with me. Um, back to the Nero guy, right? Um, just for a second. He was emperor of Rome from 54 to 64 AD. And he was the first emperor to declare official state persecution on the Christians. He burned hundreds of them alive. He used them as torches to light up his deck and his, and, and his gardens. He, he would put animal skins on them and then feed them to the bears. He did all kinds of terrible things. He was responsible for Peter and for Paul's death. And, and so the, the number of the beasts, this 666, that's a, it's a very thinly veiled reference to Nero. So six is the number of man, right? Because man was created on the sixth day. And there was like a type of game puzzle back then. It was called grammatia. Um, they would turn letters into numbers to make a name. And so today it would be like if you had a zero, a zero could also stand for an O, right? Or if the Roman numeral for five is also a V, so one could stand for the other, right? And so, and so the number 666, if you spell it out using those, that game, it spells out Nero. And, and so it's referring to him, not as an individual, I think, but as a type, you know, as, a, as the embodiment of this is what happens when human leaders get exalted and get turned into idols. Okay, um, <clears throat> so while we're talking about this, about the mark of the beast, I am, I'm gonna say one more thing, um, 
I was going to ask permission, but I guess whether you say yes or no, I'm still going to say it. So I really hope you still like me. You are free to disagree with me, but, um, but hear me out. The mark of the beast. There's a counterpoint to that that we've already seen in this book. Maybe you remember it. A couple of weeks back in chapter 7, it was the seal of the Lamb. If you remember, if you were here for that, talked about the seal of the Lamb, that those who had been sealed were, were safe. And so we see the sealed are safe, and here we, the, those with the mark are doomed. And so both the seal and the mark are said to be on their, their foreheads, right? So, so here's my question for you. Are you sealed? I hope you are. I hope you're sealed. But can you show me where it is? Like physically, can I find the spot on your forehead where the seal of the lamb is? No, of course not, Pastor Brian. That's symbolic. That's not literal. Okay, I am with you 100%. Can we be consistent? Right? If the seal of the lamb is symbolic, maybe the mark of the beast is as well. Think about that one. And if you don't agree with me, you still have to love me. It's in here. It's in here. But the whole point of Revelation is written for Christ followers to instill courage and hope and confidence, not fear and dread and terror, okay? So here's the thing. The gospel message doesn't run out because of the mark of the beast, right? It's not like, yeah, you're saved by grace, the power of the cross, the blood of Jesus. Oh, you got the mark of the beast? It's all over. You're done. It's history, all right? Um, this, this, is, this is it. And, and so, you know, if you don't want to get vaccinated and you've got your reasons, great. Please don't call it the mark of the beast. Come on, people. All right? You still love me, right? Okay, good, good. All right, the major motive here, it's, it's not about so much the mark of the beast. It's more about the marks of the beast. It's, it's exposing, this passage is showing us how powers and empires set themselves up as alternate objects of worship. And that's the challenge because when what's demanded rises to the level of, of worship, of, of that allegiance that we say is only due to the eternal creator God and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. They're the only ones worthy. And so when, when that's being forced, to, or it's being pushed in another person, in other objects, God's people say, I'm out. I got to tap out. But here's the thing. The enemy will prop up these counterfeit objects of ultimate worth and try to deceive us to switch allegiances. And here we see just how hard, what the beast tries to do is to create another lamb-like creature. He, he tries to mimic the lamb in so many ways. He tries, but he fails. And so let me just point out a few ways that the, the dragon shares his power and his throne with the beast. You know what that's like? The one who sits on the throne. Remember, we talked about this. We saw this in Revelation 4. He shares his power and his authority with the lamb. He's trying to do the same thing. The beast has a resurrection story, just like 
the lamb. He's trying to copycat Jesus, the one who was dead and is now alive forevermore. Do you notice the beast is completely into diversity, just like the lamb. He has reached its extent to every tribe and people and language and nation, just like Jesus. The lamb, beast, it says, has two horns just like a lamb. So he looks harmless. He looks nice. He looks like, you know, like Jesus almost, but, but he's a beast in sheep's clothing. And here's the thing, that only becomes apparent when you stop and you listen to what it is that's coming out of his mouth. That's the key point here. There are messages that are being broadcast that need to be carefully discerned and filtered. The beast even performs great miracles and signs. Supernatural power is not the issue. He's got that. The problem is that there's the supernatural source. It's one of two. One's from heaven and one's from hell. And, and so don't mistake synonym, uh, spiritual, for, for being godly. It can very just as well be, be demonic if you're not careful and discerning. So, so, so in light of this system that we're seeing here, it, it is just, it is stacked against the saints. And so here's the message. Don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked in. Decline the devil's offer. Don't compromise with the kingdoms of this world. And like Jesus, be willing instead to pick up your cross. So, so Revelation Here's the thing about this book. It doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't try to, you know, just kind of tiptoe into things and make it easy. It spells it right out. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. It says, if anyone is to be taken captive into captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, the sword, he must be slain. And he says this, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. That's that's kind of sobering, you know? I think what it's, what it's saying here is, is that our stories may not play out the same way as like Daniel's friends. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember that story where they were, they were prisoners in Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar made a 50, not, I'm sorry, a 90 foot tall statue of himself. Then he turned and he demanded everyone bow down and worship that statue of me. And the whole kingdom, there were three dissenters. It was them. And as a result, they got thrown into this fiery furnace. And not only did they survive, but they met Jesus in the furnace. It's just this incredible story. Um, but do you remember that testimony they gave before they got tossed in? I, I'm going to say it here. He says, they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods, not worship the golden image that you've set up. See, it wasn't about them and how they made out. It was about God and who he is. And that's what it's always about. It's what it's always about. And the idea is that endurance is needed because this is gonna take some time to play out. 
This is not a short-term game. Our victory, our salvation, our hope requires a perspective that stretches out beyond the here and now, beyond this world, and extends into eternity. And if we're ever going to be able to, to, to contend against the beast and play this long game, we've got to have that perspective. We've got to be willing to see beyond just what's here and now. But for the time being, as he said, you know, if anyone's going to go and die by the sword, die by the sword. So in other words, here's how the saints respond to the system that's stacked against us. We're not going to compromise, so what do we do? Do we rise up and battle the beast, right? Do we start a crusade? No. Just play the long game. Let this play out. And God is sovereign. God is superintending every detail of what's going on. Play it out. Stay faithful. If it means taking a hit for the sake of Christ, that's what it comes down to, then take it. Whatever it is, but don't give up hope. Be like the lamb. The lamb who died, not like the beasts who kills. And that's a very challenging message. It's a very challenging message. The only way any of us can ever hope to endure that long is with eyes to see and ears to hear and insight to understand what's really going on and what ultimately will be. And that's exactly what the next scene gives us. We've, we, we've seen the view from the ground, right? This is what's going on in our world. There's this dragon who is working through these beasts to do God's people in. They're on the loose. They're tearing God's people up. What does it look like from the other side? It looks something like this. And I'm just going to read this. You don't have to turn to it, but this is the next, the next chapter. It says this, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had the name, his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. And I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. 
and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commands of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on a cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for it is the grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. There's a, there's a lot in there. Um, we are gonna work through some of that in coming weeks because a lot of this stuff is gonna reoccur. But big picture, looking at just the picture it paints, it, it's a picture of victory. It's a picture of victory that, that those who have been slayed by the dragon, those who have paid that ultimate price, find their way to victory. They lag down their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't need to pity them. We don't need to feel sorry for them. They are the, the first fruits of the redeemed kingdom of God, and they are safe and sound. The second one is just this picture of, of vindication vindication is coming. This world is a jacked up place. It is just a messed up place with messed up things. And those are going to be held to account. Harvest time is coming. That sickle is going to swing. And until that day, we get the chance to answer that question, where is our allegiance going to lie? Are we gonna take that easy route of aligning our lives with the kingdoms of this world? Or are we gonna align our lives with the Lord Jesus Christ? But you see, here's the story. Nations, they rise and they fall. And that's not about to stop. And that beast, that mighty beast that we read all about in this chapter, the Roman Empire, it is gone. It is no more. It is buried in the dust. It takes up a couple of pages in the annals of history books. And yet, this, this first century fledgling group of Christians, back then they seemed nothing more than like a little nuisance to the Roman Empire. But it's fascinating, we're still here. You get that? We're, we're still here against all odds, right? And their story from the past that is meant to motivate and set the tone for our stories right now and how we live out our lives. Because our hope is not in the nations of men. It's not in human leaders. It's in the living Lord Jesus Christ who is returning, who is coming, not for a country, but for his faithful people. So, so right now, let's live 
with that end in mind. And whatever temptation there is to compromise, to put our trust in someone or something other than him, let's, let's redirect that passion back to where it belongs on Jesus.